we have lots of friends here this morning. Uh, Bishop, Bishop, Bishop Priest this morning, we're very happy to have him. He's then on to Fort Wayne for the symposia. Dr. Kleining is back. He also is going to on the symposia. Uh, there's many things going on, but it's just, it's great to have these guys here. It's a great encouragement to us as pastors, and I hope to you as a congregation, it's very nice to be connected to people who are so faithful and who do so much for the church. So the offering will go towards Siberia today. February is coming up, it's Essie month. Uh, I, the board isn't up yet, but do two things, be ready to sign up, and second, Julie Nyquist and Leanne Dame are the ones who are taking care of it. Tony Breeze is going to pass the court, so they should be your new folks. Beyond that, anything else I should be remembering or say to you? Men's retreat and women's retreat coming up, a very interesting and uh, by all accounts, a fabulous professor from Wheaton College who's going to talk about Lutheran art and the Reformation, products particularly. So do sign up for that. Anything else we've got going? No, I think, okay, so uh, 1040, because I know you'll go to 1045, so 1040, and then uh, we'll see what happens next. So Dr. John Piney, welcome back. Thank, oh. <laughs> uh, I better watch out, hadn't I? I might fall over. Um, it's a great joy to be here and to see so many familiar faces. Uh, and it's even greater joy to uh, lead you in Bible study, which is, I think, my favorite activity. So I'm in clover, even if you aren't. <laughs> Justice. How can you cope with blatant injustice? When somebody does the dirty on you. Uh, we, I want to look at a very unusual, puzzling, strange story with a parable of Jesus, um, the parable of what I call the woke widow. The woke widow it has to do with injustice. As I go around Australia, other parts of the world too, uh, picking in the Western world, uh, it seems to me that many Christians are disheartened. There's a kind of prevailing sense of discouragement, disheartenment about the present and particularly about the future. And one of the causes of disheartenment amongst Christians is, uh, it comes from a sense of anger at injustice. Um, that people have sinned against you. And God seems to do nothing about it. Disheartenment at the fact that the devil seems to have the upper hand in the world around us. And even worse than that, he seems to have the upper hand in the church. And that's what disheartens me most of all. And the result of that uh, spiritual disheartenment is a, a sense of, and it leads to tiredness, a lack of energy, a depletion of energy, and that leads to irregular prayer, for ourselves and others. 
we give up. We stop praying. Um, we don't pray for ourselves. And most of all, if we might still pray for ourselves, but we don't pray for other people. Um, so we, be, if you like, uh, we, we uh, uh, become sleepy Christians. Now, a sleepy Christian is a Christian who doesn't pray and doesn't pray regularly. Now, it's interesting the way things work out in the world. One of the most fascinating phenomena that I viewed a little bit from afar, but, but it's not just from afar because it's hit us too, the other opposite side of the world, is the phenomena of wokeness. There's a new fashionable class of awoke people. Now, where does this terminology come from? It's, in fact, religious terminology. Woke means a woke person is an awakened person. Now, you younger people know far better than I do uh, the way it works. Um, woke people are here in the US, at least, people who are awake to perceived exploitation, oppression, social injustice. Um, the Me Too movement, environmentalism, you know it better than I do. And it leads then, results in uh, political and social activism, a quest for social, environmental justice. But it's to be awake to, sensitive to injustice. Uh, your injustice that you suffer uh, and the injustice that other people suffer. And you have two classes of people. There are the woke people. And I haven't heard exactly um, uh, what the uh, other class is, you know, the class that you cancel, uh, uh, the unwoke people. Okay, let's look at the parable of the woke widow. Luke 18. Then he, that's Jesus, told them, the disciples, notice that this is not addressed to the world at large, but it's addressed to the disciples of Jesus. He told the disciples a parable to show them that they must pray always and not lose heart. He said, in a certain city there was a certain judge who neither feared God nor respected anyone. And there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him and saying, Vindicate me against my adversary or give me justice against my opponent. For a long while he was unwilling, but afterward he said to himself, Even though I do not fear God nor respect anybody, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, pestering me, I will vindicate her so that she does not keep coming until the end and give me a black eye. Until the end, maybe endlessly, I'll come to that. Then the Lord Jesus said, hear what the unjust judge says. But will not God provide the vindication of his people who keep crying out to him day and night 
and delay long over them. I tell you, he will provide vindication for them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he then find faith upon the earth? Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are both the God of justice and of mercy. We thank you that you've sent your Son Jesus to vindicate us against our great adversary, the devil. We pray that you will give us your Holy Spirit so that you will speak to our hearts today. We pray this in Jesus' name. Now this, by all counts, is a very strange episode and a strange parable. I don't know whether it struck you as you heard it or whether you've looked at it closely, but it's, 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 it's a, a very stark outline. There's lots of gaps here. There's things that are left unexplained. And you say, hey, this, this doesn't make sense. I've got to fill in the gaps. And, and it's not only that there are lots of gaps here, and the gaps are quite intentional, because if there's gaps here, what does it mean? You've got to fill the gaps. There's an X that's unknown. Okay, you've got to come in and make sense of it. You know, you have a jump from this to this and it's not explained. And it's not only that there are these gaps and jumps, but uh, there's so much here that is unexplained and puzzling. Now, I think I've told you previously that one of the uh, basic uh, principles that I have for meditation and Bible study is what my students used to call the Kleinig principle. The Kleinig principle is to look for the unexpected. You see, one of the things that we fall into as Christians is that we've heard it all before and we say, yes, I know, yes, I know. Here we go again, same old, same old, same old. And we don't see that it, there's nothing at all same old, same old in the Bible and in our Christian life. There's always, oh, different again, surprise again. God keeps surprising us. And that's one of the lessons that we need to learn as Christians is to expect to be surprised and not to be thrown by the unexpected curveball or whatever you call it. Okay, so what are some of the odd things about this parable? Okay, uh, 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 I want to focus just broadly on three things and lead you on a meditation, as it were, a spoken meditation. Okay, first of all, you have this shameless widow. Um, A widow who has swallowed her pride and shamelessly keeps pestering this recalcitrant judge. She's experienced some kind of injustice, but 
we don't know what the injustice is that she's experienced. Um, we could speculate about it, um, but Jesus quite intentionally doesn't tell us what, her, what unjust thing has happened to her, how she's been dealt with unjustly, and it's deliberately so because we've got to fill in the gap. And we've got to put ourselves in the shoe of the widow and fill in the injustice. So, what's the injustice? Secondly, who is her adversary? And what has he done to her? Or what has he not done to her? Now, adversary means opponent, but it's an opponent in a court of law. Right? Who's the adversary? And how has he dealt unjustly with her? How has he abused her? Okay, let's be fashionable. Okay, here you have a woman who's been abused and you have an abuser. You get the picture? Thirdly, and most puzzlingly, did you hear that the judge says that he eventually gives in to her pestering of him because he doesn't want to get a black eye from her? Black eye. Why and how does her persistence give him not a literal black eye, but a metaphorical black eye? And what's so bad about getting a black eye? And what's so bad about getting a black eye from a woman? And what's so bad about an upper-class judge who's up here getting a black eye from a woman at the bottom of the social pyramid? And lastly, how are we to be like this widow? In what way are we in her shoes? And what's Jesus doing by putting us in her shoes. Secondly, the so-called unjust judge. Why is it said that this judge doesn't fear God at all and he doesn't respect anybody? Why those two things? Uh, so, uh, 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 he's unjust. Why is he unjust? Because he doesn't fear God and he doesn't respect public opinion. And in what way is he unrighteous? Jesus calls him an unrighteous judge. Now, is he unrighteous because he is the cause of the woman's problem? That he has issued judgment against her and has favoured her enemy, her adversary? Uh, is he unjust because uh, he fails to listen to her and he should listen to her? Or is he unjust because he has a reputation of not caring about justice at all? We don't know. Uh, it's not said. And then thirdly, why does he eventually relent? Why does he give in to her and say yes uh, to her? Uh, what's his motive for doing it? What's in it for him? 
to uh, vindicate her. And uh, what does it mean to vindicate her? You know, vindicate means to show that he is right and her adversary is wrong. We all want that, don't we? I'm right, you're wrong. Now, most strangely of all, in what ways is God like this unjust judge? Now, that really blows my notion of God to smithereens. God is like this unjust judge. You've got to be kidding. Um, that uh, uh, completely abolishes, obliterates common popular piety and spirituality. Because if there's one thing we all agreed on, we agree on, doesn't matter what religion we have, or what our faith is that God, if he's God, has to be what? Just. And then you get Jesus' puzzling remarks. Um, right at the beginning, it says, uh, and you heard it, uh, Jesus told them a pa- this parable. Why? To show them that they must pray always. But then he adds also, and not be disheartened. Okay, so uh, 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 it's not just praying always, and I'll come to that, but also not be disheartened. Uh, What has regular prayer, what has disheartenment got to do uh, with justice? Disconnect. Justice here, disheartenment, Prayer over here. How are they connected? Can you see? It's not easy. There's all sorts of things that are at work here. Um, and then you get uh, uh, at the end of the parable, which begins, and Jesus clues us in and says, okay, look everybody, this is what it's about. He gives the explanation right at the beginning, which is unusual for Jesus, because in parables, if he gives any explanation, where does it usually come? Where do you expect it to come? At the end. He brings it right up front and says, this is uh, what this parable is about. You've got to pray always and not be disheartened. It sounds like a good Sunday school lesson. And that's, that everybody says, okay, yeah, that's easy. Um, uh, we could, that, that makes good sense to us. But uh, So at the end of the parable, say when I cue in like that as a teacher, you give the topic, or as a preacher, I give the topic, and at the end I go back to the topic. And so at the end we would expect Jesus to speak about just a, a prayer rather than faith. Just listen again. It's odd. It's strange. It says, I tell you, he, that's Jesus, will provide vindication for them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, who's the Son of Man? Jesus. When the Son of Man comes, will he find faith? On earth. I'd expect him to say, will he find people who are, what? Praying. 
Will he find woke people like you? Uh, but he says, will he find faith on earth? You start off with prayer, go to justice, and you expect then back to justice. But he goes from prayer, justice, to faith. I've taken quite a while with this, can you see? Because we can jump too easily to picking out something here and drawing the wrong conclusions. Okay, now let's uh, uh, look at the explanation and application. And I'm not going to close this off because it can't be closed off. And if I'm successful today, you're going to keep worrying about this for a little while. (laughs) Maybe only one or two minutes. (laughs) Explanation. Just listen to it again. Um, Then Jesus told them, the disciples, a parable to show them that they must pray always and not lose heart. Notice the emphatic sense of must. Now, if you look at most common translations, they soften it down into how they ought to do it. No, it's a duty obligation. But that's not what Jesus says. He says they must pray. Okay, that's confronting, isn't it? How do you feel about that? It makes me feel guilty, I must say. And then it's, it's even more confronting when he says praying always... Now, the word for always here doesn't mean uh, praying all the time, but it means praying regularly. And it's the term that was used in the Old Testament, um, in the Psalms particularly, but elsewhere, for regular prayer, morning and evening prayer. Uh, uh, The time of the morning and evening divine service at the temple. So it has to do with regular prayer. Uh, always in the sense of regularly. So Paul at the beginning of his letter says, uh, I pray for you always. Of course he isn't praying always in the literal sense of it, but he prays regularly. And sometimes he, I pray for you always morning and evening. Okay, there you have it. But still, um, that's a bit confronting. And then, um, uh, and not be disheartened. Okay, disheartened uh, about praying. Um, the word for disheartened also means growing tired. So growing tired, disheartened from praying or being growing tired, disheartened because we don't see the answer to our prayers. Okay, that's not too difficult. Okay, so Jesus starts off with the easy stuff and then he leads us into the hard stuff. Then you have the parable. Okay, just listen to it again. He said, and notice the language, and the vague language, in a certain city, there was a certain judge who neither feared God nor respected anyone, and there was a widow, unnamed widow, just a generic widow, in that city who kept coming to him and saying, vindicate me against my adversary. For a long while he was unwilling, but afterwards said to him, even though I do not fear God, nor respect anybody, 
Yet because this widow keeps bothering me, pestering me, I will vindicate her, I will give her justice so that she doesn't keep coming until the end and give me a black eye. Strange stuff. Now notice here the contrast between the judge and the widow. A city, a town in the ancient world. They are on the opposite ends of the social spectrum. The most disadvantaged of all people in the ancient world were widows. I won't go into it. You can... um, asked uh, uh, Scott to explain that to you sometime, but it's quite complex. Now, why is it that widows are most disadvantaged? The judge has the power, the widow has no power. All cards are on the hand of the judge. In a situation of power and possibility for abuse of power. Um, And the uh, judge is indifferent to what are the two basic criteria for a judge in ancient Israel and the ancient world. Now, what are the criteria that a judge uses to pass judgment? On the one hand, there is God's law, which says what is right and wrong. And then the other end, there is uh, public opinion, uh, which determines how God's law is applied. So, but here you have a judge who basically rejects the two fundamental criteria for the application of justice. Now, they don't, aren't obviously the case here in the USA, but you say, if you think uh, there's the, the, the law of the land, what's legislated, and then public opinion. So he operates by another standard than these two common standards. Now, what's the standard that he operates on? Um, Notice, too, the status of this widow as one of the most um, uh, disadvantaged uh, of persons. But also that widows, and this is repeated again and again and again in the Old Testament and in some places in the New Testament, that God uh, favours, God protects. God is the uh, redeemer of widows and orphans. Widows and orphans, the disadvantaged. And they come under God's special protection. Um, now, this widow demands her vindication. Give me justice. Now, uh, That can be taken in two ways. Um, So justice means, okay, in a court of law, you're right, he's wrong. But it doesn't necessarily mean innocence, that she has not done something wrong or she's not at fault. Uh, But it means that she, in this case, it could be that she is more right and he is more wrong or she is absolutely right and he is absolutely wrong. Um, So it has to do with vindication. Now, just think of vindication. Uh, uh, Some Bibles translate this, give me justice. Uh, That's not wrong, it's quite correct. But this touches on something far deeper. All of us want to be 
vindicated. And most of what you and I do is geared towards being vindicated. Now, one of the basic tussles in our marriage has been that my wife's always right and I'm always wrong. Uh, Sometimes it's the other way around. Uh, But vindication, being in the right. um, And we see justice basically as in those terms. Um, Then you have her adversary in a court of law. Is he the one who has the cause of injustice, who has abused her in some way? Or is he one who has just been unjustly favoured? Now, she's had some injustice and he has, the judge has decided unjustly in her favour. I think it's most likely to be that he's the cause of the injustice, the abuse. Now you start probing a little bit deeper. Um, adversary, does that ring any bells? Well, for me, I immediately think of First Peter chapter 5. Be sober, be vigilant. Vigilant means being awake because your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking somebody to devour. The devil is your adversary before God. What does he want to do? He wants to uh, accuse you of sin in order to condemn you of sin and to... uh, Make sure that you aren't vindicated by God. Okay, um, now once you come that, then the parable begins to take on a whole new light. Uh, It doesn't necessarily mean that there are no human adversaries, but behind all your enemies spiritually lies the great enemy, the devil. Notice the double sense of to the end. Um, that she will keep pestering me until the end, Uh, which is an odd expression. Uh, Where am I? Um, He says, she keeps bothering, she keeps coming to me until the end and give me a black eye. Now, uh, uh, does it mean that she won't give up as long as he lives and as long as he's judge, she will keep, won't give him uh, any relief. Or is, is it a deeper sense of he, he'll keep bothering her, and, I mean, he'll keep bothering him until the end of the world? It's not necessarily either or, it's probably both of those. And what's the reason then <coughs> for the decision of the judge to relent? and to vindicate her, say, you're right, he's wrong. Well, it's the reason is the, uh, her persistent demand for what? Justice. And on the other hand, negatively, it's his concern about his reputation. Now, you need to think in ancient terms by being defeated by a woman. Now, some of you women will have a sense of that, and your men should be too, despite women's liberation and all that. Um, uh, Getting a black eye. 
And it's so public, you see. You can cover up lots of things, but you can't cover up a black eye in public. Um, you know, you have domestic abuse, and sometimes you have uh, uh, that shows, but usually it can be covered up. But this is not domestic abuse, this is judge abuse. And he then, if he has a black eye, it means that his shame is exposed to the public gaze. Now, he is concerned about his reputation. And uh, uh, being getting a black eye from a woman. And getting a black eye from a woman for what reason? Because this woman feels that he has been unjust. So he doesn't care about God. He doesn't care about social opinion. Since they can all go so-and-so. But he doesn't care about his reputation, as we all do. Now just ponder on that. What kind of reputation does God want to have? Does he want to have just a reputation for justice? Or what is God, uh, does God, uh, is God bothered about? Uh, what kind of reputation does <coughs> God want to have? And then you get the explanation of Jesus. <coughs> Excuse me. I've been yelling at you. Um, then, then the Lord, notice it doesn't just Jesus, but the Lord. Now, that means it's lifted to a higher level. Here, Jesus is speaking not as a human being, but as God. Then the Lord Jesus said, hear what the unjust judge says. And what does the unjust judge says? I will vindicate her, the promise of uh, vindication. And then you get questions, but will not God provide the vindication of his chosen people who keep crying out to him, or actually it's much stronger than screaming, yelling um, to him day and night, notice day and night, regularly, um, always, and delay long over them. I tell you, he will provide vindication for them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, now, Jesus uses that term because the Son of Man is the judge of the living and the dead. When the judge finally comes, will he, the judge of all, find faith on earth? Um, yeah, I'll skip a bit because I'm running out of time. Um, uh, What's the function of those two questions that Jesus asks? Um, it's a bit odd because Jesus is a good teacher. He doesn't tell people what to think. He wants people to think and work things out for himself. And those rhetorical questions shift the thinking of people from their frame of reference to see things from God's point of view. Um, notice here that the... Uh, as parallels, there's similarity but also contrast, saying that God is like this unjust judge and yet he is not like this unjust judge. Uh, he is an unrighteous judge. In what way? Well, let me tell you. He's unlike this unjust judge. Um, he's not like this unjust judge because on the one hand, he is concerned about justice, but what he's concerned about more than justice 
faith and mercy. Mercy triumphs over justice. If the final word is always mercy, not justice. And, or they, and, and he, we see these as opposites. God sees them as one and the same thing. True justice is mercy. Mercy is true justice. Now that blows our way of thinking to pieces. Um, and notice his, uh, here that he calls us to attend to the word of the judge. He says, hear what the unrighteous, unjust judge says. What does the unjust says? says um, I will vindicate her speedily. That's the promise of God and Jesus to you and me. He will do what? Vindicate us. He will vindicate us. He won't wave his magic wand and get rid of all the things that bother us, create a perfect world, but he will vindicate us. And he will do it quickly, uh, already now, and he will do it quickly with the end of the world. But there's a problem here in that justice doesn't cut from our point of view immediately. That's the problem. I keep praying, I keep praying about the way I've been abused or dealt with unjustly and God doesn't seem to answer that. He delays because he's concerned with something bigger than justice. What's he concerned with? Faith. Can I repeat that? Uh, God seems to delay in answering our prayers. He seems to delay in delivering justice because what he is looking for is faith and faith has to do with prayer. So very quickly now, and you can fill the rest in yourself, so the basic concern of Jesus is not for divine justice but faith. He comes and he is at work in your life and my life and he's at work in the world to bring people to faith in God. Um, Notice there's a connection in the Bible between faith and prayer. Uh, uh, Which people does Jesus say, your faith has saved you? The people who come to Jesus in prayer. So, um, right from the Bible going onwards, a woke person is a praying person. An unwoke person is a person who doesn't pray. Faith in its simplest sense is praying. Trusting prayer. Looking to Jesus to receive uh, what he promises to give. So prayer is spiritual wakefulness. Um, so there's a call here for you and me to be faithful, regular in prayer. And an encouragement in two things, and this is what I want to end with. Encouragement in two things. Uh, number one is to keep on praying and not be discouraged. And why do we become discouraged? Because Jesus, God, doesn't seem to answer our prayers. Okay? Uh, to keep praying uh, 
and to see that there's a, something bigger at work here. For a woke Christian is not a Christian who's alert to injustice, but alert to mercy and faith in God's mercy. Um, uh, so that's the one thing that's very, very important. And the second thing is then to pray for justice. But to pray for justice, God's justice, not our kind of justice. To pray for justice for ourselves, yeah, sure. To pray for justice for our children, uh, members of our congregation, but also to pray for justice, God's justice, for all the wicked people in the world. Um, to pray for God's merciful justice on earth. Uh, and prayer ultimately for them to come to faith. How do we exercise faith? By praying. How do we exercise uh, faith uh, in God's justice? By praying for God to bring people to faith and to strengthen our faith. Look at the rest of this yourself. Uh, there's lots of stuff here uh, uh, that I hope um, I haven't closed off and explained everything. Um, you, you see, there's much more here. And particularly, think of it in the light of what's happening here in the USA, in the light of the Me Too movement, in the light of environmentalism and all the big issues that are confronting you day by day and want to push you into uh, a way of thinking as Christians, which is partly true, because God is a God of justice, but it's only partly true. It's not the full picture. It's not the whole picture. What God is interested in is merciful justice. What God is interested ultimately in is to bring people to faith. And faith is exercised in prayer. So let's pray and I'll bless you. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for Jesus and we thank you that he encourages us to pray. He promises to uh, hear our prayers and he, uh, uh, he has told us to pray for justice for ourselves and others. We pray that we, you would give us your Holy Spirit so to open our eyes, not just to the injustices that we have experienced that you want to deal with, but also the injustices in the world around us. Make us, awaken us, uh, so that we see, not, uh, we don't just see your justice and demand your justice, but also to see how your, um, you want uh, your mercy to prevail. Strengthen our faith in you, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.